Welcome to Full Prefrontal, the show that exposes the mysteries of executive function. This podcast is a collection of conversations about the role of the prefrontal cortex, which impacts your focus, planning, problem solving, emotional balance, and independence. So join us as we explore executive function and the science of learning. And now, here's your host, the founder of EXQ, Sucheta Kamath. Welcome back to Full Prefrontal, exposing the mysteries of executive function. I'm your host, Sucheta Kamath, and thank you for joining once again to take a deep dive into the topic of executive function. Today, we are going to take a very special look at an anomaly that 50% of the people on this earth might be interested in, which is women and their cognition, and particularly women with ADHD. Uh, I want to kind of uh, share a story of uh, one of my clients uh, who came to me uh, at age 45. And uh, she knew me because our children went to same school and she had her sister-in-law and I were good friends. And so she wanted to reach out to me privately and say, hey, would you consider taking me as a client? And um, I said, sure. And we um, started, uh, you know, um, had a consult. And it was very interesting because she was very confused and she was extremely smart, highly, um, you know, um, highly well put together, uh, extremely anxious because she was very well put together looking. Uh, she had a- achieved a really a significant success in her personal career. And however, she was spending uh, 10 hours more in a day than average person. And she was doing all that at a cost of uh, relationships with her family and relationship with her colleagues. So in order to, I won't disclose what her profession was, but she was the consultant trying to solve very big problems. She was the only woman and this it was in finance field. Uh, so she was an outlier right there. So she had to compete and for to be accepted for being uh, highly capable. Um, and then turns out, I said, have you ever been diagnosed with ADHD? And she said, no, nobody ever said she had had ADHD. So that was my first uh, I was the first person telling her she might have an ADHD, but because she said, well, I've never been hyperactive. I don't have problems concentrating. Uh, and then, um, of course, so that's a just to introduce an idea that when we as women, I'm going to include myself in this cohort because we are competing in spaces where we may not have had a chance to be. And what goes into demonstrate uh, your uh, what goes into demonstrating your competence, your um, uh, the gratefulness for being included in the circle uh, may come at a big cost. But then, if you have undiagnosed ADHD or an anomaly, which uh, inherently makes it difficult to make things flow seamlessly, it can be even more burden. So, with that backdrop, I am going to introduce you to an amazing clinician psychotherapist, and a brilliant mind, uh, Sari Solden. She has counseled adults with ADHD over past 30 years. She's also a very accomplished author. And kudos, uh, because you will know a little bit more about her, that she has written so many books in spite of what it goes into writing if you have ADHD. So she has written several books, including one of my favorite, which is Women with Attention Deficit Disorder, uh, 
Uh, another one that she has just recently published, which is called A Radical Guide for Women uh, with ADHD. And this particular book is of great interest to me because of the radical acceptance concept that I'm very much familiar with uh, because of my own background in uh, mindfulness meditation. Uh, she is a prominent keynote speaker uh, on these topics nationally and internationally. Uh, she currently consults with neurodiverse women. And she'll talk a lot about why we should really talk about neurodiversity rather than box people into one type of diagnosis because it takes a very medical model. And lastly, I will say that she serves on professional advisory boards of ADDA and was recipient of their award for outstanding service by a helping professional. Congratulations and welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Oh, it's wonderful to be with you. You summed it up so beautifully. And I, you know, would love to comment on you just described my clients for the last 30 years, that woman, you know, it just encapsulated the the price and the cost and the struggle and the difficulty and the invisibility to other people of that of that struggle. If you imagine having 10 hours extra a day just to present well and to get through your day with no one even knowing it when you're successful on the outside. I've had so many clients like that. And, you know, as a therapist, I'm grateful to be able to take that journey with these women, men too, but lately more on the women's side to to help them see themselves fully and as whole people. And that's really my focus. And I know you share that uh, frame of mind too. Absolutely. So let's begin. Uh, since this po podcast is all about executive function, which entails adaptive flexibility, goal-directed persistence, intensely monitoring or regulating focus so that we do what you're supposed to do and not get uh, uh, distracted by shiny objects. I'm just curious uh, if you could share a little bit about your own journey as a learner and a thinker when you were a kid. Uh, what kind of student were you? And did you know you had ADHD when you began oh, your journey? No, nobody ever heard of that before. I don't even think they heard of it in boys then. I mean, nobody talked about ADHD. I'm very much older than <laughs> than that. You know, it was just like, okay, you're you're smart or dumb, basically, or you're organized, you're not organized. And, reviewing this question for you, you know, I could just go on for the whole hour about it because it was quite a review thinking back. I had no idea. And when you're a, a client with ADHD, that's that's the problem for women. They have no idea. So it's not just the difficulty. It's this mystery. Like, what is wrong with me? What's going on here? And I have diaries and diaries of this thing asking myself into my 30s, you know, what what's wrong with me? Do I have a brain tumor? Do I have a learning disability? Am I selfish, stupid, dumb? I mean, I had no idea how I could be you know, educated and successful and smart and, and struggling with just the basics, you know, and so I reviewed it. And I'll just share a few things, I guess, you know, but yes, I compensated please. right from the beginning. And I see that's what a lot of smart women do. And girls, they compensate, which is great, except that it makes it harder and harder for anybody to understand what they're going through. And while they're internalizing it, you know, it's very shy and quiet. But oh, um, so well, before had, you yeah. uh, explain before that I further, <laughs> I have a question. So you know what's so interesting because um, I, I really hope you can help the audience listeners understand the distinction between a struggle that is that is the nature of living a complex life 
versus struggle that's very unique to ADHD. So, and, and second, I think particularly these contradictory labels, you know, am I smart and stupid at the same time? Because I can't figure out how to um, find my keys uh, where I kept them, but I can actually solve a, you know, write a thesis in physics, you know? <laughs> right, right. Well, exactly. It's topsy-turvy. I always tell my clients, you know, it's, it's upside down. So what you might think of as easy writing, you know, these great ideas or getting a, you know, a degree well, you can't figure out how to sort to recycle or how to clean up the kitchen. No one's going to believe you. You know, how do I do this? And how do I, you know, how do I entertain? How do I do all these basic things that other people find very easy? You know, like filing or, you know, writing a list, to-do list of women with ADHD, just, you know, amazed that someone else could do those kinds of things. And so it's topsy-turvy. You can do things that other people can't do and vice versa. So, yes. And I think a lot of days they want to talk about, oh, you know, everybody struggles in this kind of fast paced world. And it's not what ADHD is about. And it's so hard. I'm so glad you're focusing on executive function, because that's what I talk about. I don't like to call it, you know, ADHD now, because it's so meaningless for women. It's so stereotypical, and it keeps women from understanding it. But the problems with executive function that are you know, so counter to what women consider their roles, even in this day and age, what they consider core to being a good mother, wife, friend, person that makes them feel so much shame. Uh, The executive function is so subtle that it's almost impossible to let anybody know what you're struggling with. And executive function also makes it almost impossible for you to go out and figure out how to solve the problem. So people say, oh, well, just do this, just do that, you know, and Michelle, Frank, and I in the book, Radical Guide, we have a chapter called, duh, duh, why didn't I think of that? Like, of course, you know, <laughs> there's a million <laughs> solutions, but the executive function is so overwhelming you that so much is coming in and, and twisting around. And, you know, people say it's like herding sheep, you know, like in your brain that you can't get to those things. Even if you might think of things to do to help yourself, it's very hard without an outside person or someone helping support you to actually marshal all that stuff to move toward a goal. So it's it's so hard for people to understand, especially in a smart, educated person. It, it's funny that you say that, you know, um, that, duh, why did I think of that? <laughs> this is, I, I uh, often have people send me pictures of their homes or rooms or, and just, I ask people their logic and, <laughs> And uh, one time, or even look at their planners and I had a client and I said, okay, show me how you make a to-do list. Like, how do you, like, how do you use your calendar? Like this Google calendar, right? She logs in, she's showing it to me. And I just asked her, so she's literally typing everything. And I said, do you know how to duplicate an appointment? Or do you know how to do repeat function? So it repeats itself. She she didn't know that. She said, I thought you can only do it on your phone, but you can't do it on uh, and her logic. Like there was no logic with her confusion about what the technical procedural detail that she was very embarrassed immediately. Like, oh, maybe I'm supposed to know it, but I don't even know it. And I had to kind of say, well, systems are created, but they are not transparent. So it's OK to not know. 
But I think the fact that the way your mind is so curious as with ADHD can be applied to investigating systems for self. And that's the gap I see with executive function. They're curious about the world, but they're not curious about themselves. But the systems aren't made for people yes, with ADHD. and they're not made by ADHD people. And they're not made by ADHD. And because they, ADHD and people cannot create systems. Unfortunately, Sorry. you can't maintain them. So, I mean, you could have a system and it could work well. This is the thing about to-do lists. And believe me, if you saw my to-do list or my calendars, you know, you would be amazed, if, if, you know. But I, I have compensated my whole life because of my, uh, you know, my, my will, my memory, you know as I'm getting older, you lose some of those compensations and becomes more difficult. But this to-do list, you think it's a simple thing, but people with ADHD, you know, can't maintain a system for very long at all. I mean, I made great lists two days ago. Everything's a disaster already because when you're smart, you're create, imagine, I call it 2E, you know, twice exceptional people. So you're really smart, but you have this huge gap and you have, you can't support the ideas that you're creating. So when you're in that situation, you know, you know, you're creating, you're creating, creating, but you can't, you don't have the organizational skill to keep up with it. And so there's a huge gap. And that's why a lot of women or men and women with ADHD are very demoralized because they can't manifest, you know, half of what they, they can think of and conceptualize or, you know, create. It's very painful. I I really liked what you just said about uh, the contradiction of uh, um, gifts and weaknesses. They're literally juxtaposed. So you can never be sure who am I? Am I this or am I that? Or can I be both? (laughs) Yeah, it's exactly twice exceptional learners. And exactly with relationships, even that happens. I was thinking, I've told people, so you, who are you? Who are you meant to be with? Who is your cohort? You can't be with, if you're really smart people, they don't have the same problems you do and they don't understand why you can't function on that level. Then, so who are you left with? People who are not as smart as you and then, you know, but you're smarter than them and you don't fit in there. So it's very hard. That's why the ADD world's been so great because we all found a tribe of people who could finally keep up with us and understood us and they had that special kind of humor and insight. And, you know, at the ADD conferences, it's hysterical. I wrote in my first book what it was like the first ADD adult conference ever in 93. And it was the first time I had ever been in a room with hundreds of adults or any of them had ever been in a room with hundreds of adults for the first time and out of the closet, you know, they they (laughs) didn't have to pass for normal. And so they let it all loose. And it was when they were interrupting and spilling and bumping into things and scratching and writing on their arm when they couldn't find paper, you know, and they were laughing. Example, when I was at one of the conferences and, uh, uh, I'm so used to going to large conferences and pe- pin drop silence and people yeah. are presenting and there's like a very decorum in quotes. Right. And I go in there and first of all, I was not sure if the presentation was already over because people were not settled. So I couldn't figure out. And I said, wait, but it says it's supposed to start. So it had started, but the half the room was standing like wow. they had not sat down yet. <laughs> and well, they never sat down. <laughs> well, that's a nice thing about ADD conferences, this world, ADA at the time, because, uh, you know, the presenters, also, most of the presenters many times also had ADHD. So it wasn't this strict, like, oh, above, you know, hierarchical yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. kind of. And so yeah, from you the were being told. <laughs> yeah, and we used to be like that. But when ADA and the adults pushed their way in, then everything got, you know, different. But um, going back to me, when I was growing up, I realized I had stuff all around me my whole life that I couldn't organize. And, but I started compensating because uh, instead of doing linear reports and outlines, I started doing writing quiz shows and dramas. And, you know, I was compensating and using my creativity right along, you know, but 
I was doing okay, but until the seventh grade, I got a really mean teacher. And uh, well, they actually corrected where I belong, this twice exceptional thing. And mm. I, they put me back in this accelerated group. And so I was just getting everything. This is a mess. This could have been done by a second grader. See me, blah, blah, blah. You know, even though I was smart, I started getting shamed all the time. And at college, I what you said reminded me of the kind of thing I did without knowing it. I would write, I went to a, a hard school and I did well, but I would, I would write the textbook. I would out highlight it and then I would, I would write it and write it and write it and write it and write it. And then I would get the whole course down to basically five words. And I could tell you the whole course. I would spend hundreds and hundreds of hours trying to internalize the material. I had the system wow. and, you know, talking about extra time. I, my whole life so was taken work. up trying to cope. You know, I couldn't, couldn't if someone was in the library going like that or moving their chair around I had to keep moving around to try to find some way I could study and so it was very difficult and um, I kept moving from one place to another after college to try to once I got too disorganized I'd move around to different I had leave I'd move and I try this or that but I kept creating my own uh, innovative kind of programs and I kept uh, you know I kept using my skills and uh, you know, it was just, uh, it was very difficult, you know, and it wasn't until I was, you know, close to 40 that I figured out, like, that this was a thing, you know. Well, I think your story just is so, um, it's touching my heart. I think, number one is look at the human potential in you, like just brimming with potential. But the uh, it's like, uh, and this is a cliche, of course, like, you know, round peg in a square mm -hmm. uh, um, um, space. Yeah. But I do think, um, you know, this this can take a big toll on people. Like you maintained your zeal, you plowed through. Uh, but I'm just curious, can we talk a little bit about why is it so difficult to live, to to have get this diagnosed in women? Uh, and um, why is it so hard to live with ADHD for people who are going through it? Uh, can you maybe shed a little bit more, more light from a larger well, perspective of people who are trying to do their best right. uh, or, or, of... how, or why they don't get diagnosed first. I mean, yeah, let's talk the... about the, yeah. Why okay. do they not get diagnosed? Right. Right. You know, and when I started out in the early nineties, you mentioned that Hollowell, we all started out and he wrote the first book and a couple of us wrote those first books. But before that, we had no idea that adults even had anything called ADHD. And then we understood that uh, adults oh, continue to have it, even though they lost their hyperactivity, but it wasn't until we understood that they, you'd never had to have hyperactivity, ADD without hyperactivity, we called it then, that we understood then that women could have it too, but it was different, you know, so everybody was saying that in the early 90s, and I, and women have it too, but it's different. So I happened to be in a good situation, you know, just luckily, I, I came from a minority mental health cross cultural, uh, you know, orientation, not a I medical. See. Oh, it was just, it was just, uh, that's why I think I've been successful in, in, in not pathologizing people who, with these kinds of differences, but I just happened to, you know, to help one of my clients. I happened to wind up in this program. This is in California. One of the only places in the country had a, in a counseling agency had a program for adults with learning disabilities. So it was within the context of studying the effect on your sense of self and self psychology that I had this program for adults with learning disabilities. And oh, because of that, I had to take a test. And I, for the first time I, I, I took this test, I was shocked, you know, that I had like no memory, <laughs> like everything. I had no short-term memory. I couldn't do this test. And I got a 16th percentile and like had to identify like crazy robot 
uh, you know, faces and remember them without any context. And so yes. I started to understand. Anyway, I was dealing with, that was when we, I was, so I was working with women and men who were having great organizational problems in their life. But what I was understanding, I started tracking all these people and I saw that the women had so much more shame than the men who were having some of the same difficulties. The men had more assistance. They didn't figure it was core to them to be disorganized, but the women had such shame about it. That was the main difference. So it was not just the difficulty. It was the way they thought about themselves, the shame, the avoidance, the the pretending. This is what I work with with my clients about. So the reason why women didn't get diagnosed then and even though it's much better now um, over these last 30 years, you know, women never had that stereotype, matches, mostly don't match a stereotype of uh, hyperactive acting out, you know, troublemaking little boys. So they weren't looking for them. It was those little boys that got referred and kept getting, you know, reinforcing the diagnosis. So little girls are much more used to uh, internalizing their difficulties, getting more anxious or depressed, maybe becoming perfectionistic. They often have support or structure at home, or if they do, that hides it, masks it. As they get older, sometimes they're self-medicating. Um, so in, at some point it gets hard because uh, puberty, the hormones kick in often at these different stages. Then they start to show their difficulties or they go to college or at some point they can't keep up with their with their peers. Um, and then by then they're depressed or anxious and then they can get diagnosed with that. But often that's secondary to a primary diagnosis of ADHD. So what's hard about it is like, who am I? You know, these women come in and they've been working so hard. Like you said, I had a client who you remind me of when you talked about, I had a client who she was like, she was like 65 or something. She had spent the last 30 years spending 10 hours a day, cooking, cleaning, shopping, trying to put things away, trying to figure out how to clean up, how to, she was a gifted writer and she didn't realize wow. that till after all this, then she stopped doing all that and she started writing. But, uh, you know, every little thing you do every minute of the day, you take your brain with you. So executive function means how do you spend every minute of your day? And it's chronic. It's not constant. So if you're in a decent situation where you're not being bombarded and you're focusing on something important to you, you can do well if you're excited about it. But when you're out there with all the stuff coming in, like a lot of women are, they, they're the center of the household or, or the workplace or the logistics. They talk about, you know, they're in charge of niceties of life even now. You know, they care about relationships, but they can't keep up with them. So it's it, it hurts them that they can't be who they are. It hurts them that people don't know who they are, that they can't contribute who they are, and then in relationships, they either start to withdraw because they feel so shameful, or in their intimate relationships, they don't have power in the relationship. You know, they think that having ADHD is like the worst thing in the world. And, mm -hmm. and so they lose all their power. And here's a good story from my client, a client like she's in her 40s. It was a, such a telling moment. We had worked for so long together. And uh, in her family, who was going to do the pots, the fact that she couldn't do the pots and pans was a big deal, even though she had become, you know, went back to school, she was really successful now, but she could not, you know, do those pots and pans. And it became like, for many years, it was like, okay, like, that means I'm a bad person, you know, I'm bad. I'm, you know, have to, I don't have any power in the family. And now, recently, after a lot of work, many years of work, she 
they're just pots and pans now. They're not like her. <laughs> I mean, they're still arguing about pots and pans, but it's not about her anymore. So, you know, the goal for me as a therapist is like, you I stop defining that. yourself by the executive function, stop measuring yourself by your executive function difficulties. You know, I think uh, it's so interesting. Uh, there are some uh, re- researchers who talk about this, particularly, I think you uh, highlighted this wonderful, um, or the rather how complex it is, but the, um, you know, there's so much, there are traditional feminine qualities, which is being empathic, you know, being good with relationships, being nice and obedient and good mothers and being home organizers. You know, these are all considered uh, expected. And so the culture says, if you don't demonstrate it, somehow you're lacking, but it's never viewed as, is there difficulty in demonstrating these? Because these are skills. These are not traits. These are not something you inhabitate. Like, you know, it's, it's a, and so that's one barrier. I think what you're just saying just uh, occurred to me. Uh, And then the second thing is the flip side of that, you know, you need to be nurturing and kind and patient. This is a culture expects as a being feminine. But then second, if you're disruptive, hyperactive, impulsive, disorganized, there's a lot of accusation or almost shaming that you are somehow less than uh, and more male-like, which is like oh. you almost are uh, not worthy of respect or not worthy to be considered as a uh, exemplifying uh feminine beauty or inner and outer. So there's yeah, yeah. all these labels are making all it so these And I talk a lot about that. And, and in my book, I talk about sh- you messages where you get shame, but all these she messages I talk about that you hear, like they're not saying it's you because you're hiding it. You're like an invisible, you know, like being in the closet with it. And you hear other women being talked about when you know you have the same difficulty. So how can she doesn't do this and she doesn't do that? And, love, you, and, yeah. and you hear that and then you're more and more shamed. But it's amazing to me. I mean, I thought this was true 30 years ago when I wrote about it. But now when I work with women in their 20s who are having different lives, they still, in therapy, push, come to shove, feel that same failure. It doesn't matter. Yes. (laughs) Amazing. You know, so it's internalized very deeply. And it's maybe even on social media, it's reinforced in a much more difficult way. It was all my life, too, with ads and media. But women really internalize it. And then they idealize it. Um, and then they compare themselves to other people. And it's so funny as we age, uh, my cohorts. Now, the other day, someone just said to me, well, why can't I be the same kind of grandmother as, as these other people? <laughs> I used to be about wife and mother. Now, why is it so easy for other people just to take care of their kid, their grandchild for eight hours a day? You know, so it's just it doesn't change whatever stage of life oh you are. It's, God. It stays with you. It's so funny. Well, I really appreciate this same she message because to me, I think if we can from, uh, you know, uh, social uh, psychology and and also like just the culture, there's a incredible social sanctions. And and in order to avoid those social sanctions, then girls and eventually women uh, internalize this uh, as is and like. If you have a lot of energy, you're muting it down. If you ha- have a lot of ideas, uh, then you're not yeah. participating. You're becoming shy, not shy, but withdrawn, not shy. And then also you're underperforming because you don't want to look uh, like you're being aggressive with your creative creativity. So we're really, again, my, my biggest it, problem with all this is we are l- losing out on incredible human potential. 
Right. In all areas of diversity that happens, you know, whenever we, for all human beings, when we, when we put them yes. in boxes or we see them from this narrow perspective, like I invented a term at one point, neuro bigotry, you know, it's the same kind of thing as or neuro, neuro profiling, all these things that you apply to other, you know, minorities happens to people with neurodiversity, you know, and just like you get judged by what you see on the outside or you're, it really is their neuro entitlement. I mean, there's people who just, you know, they're entitled, they feel entitled because they don't have these same problems. So yeah, so when I work with my clients, and I work a lot with therapists now who have ADHD. And uh, so we talk a lot about this, not just focusing on the difficulties, but claiming space, women feel they don't feel entitled to have a life. Oh, how can I take that yoga class? How can I go out for lunch? How can I do this? you know, when my house is still a mess, you know, like they're waiting for some day where, where this is going to all go away. And uh, that's why in our book, Radical Guide, we, the main concept is untangling. And, you know, both Michelle and I, you know, talk about our own personal experiences and those of our clients, but the importance of untangling your uh, brain difficulties, your executive function difficulties from your core sense of self, because for women who aren't diagnosed early, they're so conflated and they think, oh, my desk is a mess. It means I'm a mess. It means I'm bad. It means I'm, you know, full of shame. So freeing up those two things where you can walk alongside of your difficulties and your clutter or your mess, you know, I mean, that's something to work on. That's like your your brain, your medication, your coaching, your systems, tips, tools, strategies, whatever. That's not you. And it's so important as a therapist that, you know, that you people see themselves as separate from their difficulties, whatever their difficulties are in yeah. their neurodiversity. You know, it's not just ADHD and that you, you know, you don't, and, and you can go on those two paths separate, you know, I mean, I, I really, yeah, yeah, I really like that, that your, your approach is a very compassionate, uh, yeah. but it's also is empowering. So you need to kind of understand that, yes, these are real difficulties. Yes. Um, and there's no, like, I all, often in my work with uh, clients, I say, show me one person who doesn't have difficulty. So now the question is, is your difficulty unmanageable? And are your beliefs coming in the way that you don't have it what it takes? So the therapy to me is really empowering people to see all uh, the all that goes into managing self, including adjusting, adapting a new mindset that's supportive of who you really are. Yeah. So uh, since you are a therapist, maybe we can talk a little bit about therapeutic approaches or strategies. Um, one of the things, uh, your biggest, uh, you know, focus is, is kind of really helping. I love you have uh, used the term, uh, how to shine, you know, uh, how to move into the center of life is what you call it. So tell us uh, a little bit about what would that entail? When how do you how do you help people not feel shame? It takes a long time. I mean, depending, yes. on, depending on how you come in, you know, when you don't know yes. you, but if you've had positive experiences and you, you know, you don't all come in at the same way. But most women with ADHD come in pretty full of shame and pain. And it takes a long time. That's why it's so important for them to realize, your listeners to realize that this is not a quick thing. Take, you know, I had a psychiatrist tell a client a long time ago, okay, well, take this pill. And when your house is clean, you're cured. I mean, that was so bad in so many ways. Like that was going to oh be the, God. you know, we don't want you to cure yourself. We want you to be more of who you are. We want you to be you know, more easy to access who you are. And so for me as a therapist, I mean, the bottom line for any therapist, for anybody, but these women who never saw themselves, never understood is for me to see them. I mean, see them really. And, and mm. it's a battle at first 
they want to go back to this idea. I'm bad. You know, when am I going to get over this? When, you know, can you fix me? This is, you know, I, I, I don't like myself at all, you know, and. I'm, and you might be the first person who is definitely. willing and forcing them to say, I see you. And they've been like, no, 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 I don't want to show you all of me. No, they don't. And that's why they, they withdraw and they don't contribute. They don't get out there because they're so afraid of revealing themselves. You know, how can they be themselves and without opening themselves up to humiliation they feel and what they want the most is to be seen and to be heard but that's what they fear the most too so it takes a long time i think that these groups for women with adhd have been so therapeutic because for the first time you're i'm hearing all you other they're hearing each other say things that they're experiencing that they think is so bad in themselves but they can clearly see these other people are so full mm -hmm. of life and and specialness. And so it, eventually it forces them to reconsider their own self-image. So, you know, I have the funny messed model in my first book. So that was just basically medication. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it still basically holds up because it's medication. At, you know, the bottom line is this is neurobiological ADHD. So it's not characterological. So the first thing we want to understand is, you know, can a little bit of a stimulant help you stay awake and for women stay activated you know i use the tom brown model of executive function which yes. is activation distractibility all those kinds of things and short-term memory problems so you know medication is at least to have a consultation to understand like can that give us a little bit of a lift you know there's no fuel in the you know, in the car it doesn't matter how great a car you have you're yeah, not going to exactly. get anywhere and then education is obviously there's so many more when i started out there was no internet that's my book hit the same time as the internet and the conferences and it was that's why it got all this juice because women started talking into, uh, with each other for the first time and so uh education um support you've got to have support whether it's you know it could be a coach it could be a housekeeper it could be a it could be uh you know anybody this emotional support physical support talk about radical acceptance. I had a slide once, you know, my clients were fighting and fighting and fighting a couple, finally they got a laundry service and like, you know, <laughs> that was like <laughs> radical acceptance to me, you know, okay. And then, you know, it was really great, you know, so sometimes you, you have to get help for your uh, executive function problems. If you want to go and do anything else, you don't want to spend all day, like you're saying with your client, you know, managing your, your problems. You, you don't want to do that. You want to move toward your strengths but I want to say like, okay, it, it you don't want to underestimate either the strengths or the difficulties. I mean, they're both very strong and it's easy to see one or the other. And neither one of them are you. I mean, that's my message, I guess, is like, you are not any of that stuff. You are so you much more complex traits. than human. Yeah, you have to, you know, and this was a turning point for me. I was in a high level, you know, group, small group of psychologists at a major university having a small discussion once. And I heard a psychologist well-known in the field say, well, his whole idea was like, we have to fix people's executive functions so then they can feel good about themselves. And then when he said that, I realized, oh, that's the difference between me and, and many people. Like, you have to feel good about yourself and see who you are, even though you're going to continue to struggle with executive function. I mean, that's how your brain works. That's going to be a battle. You have to have, you know, that's going to be your lifelong battle, but that's not who you are. So you can't wait. I've had so many people, I had doctors, all these people, I'm not going to go back to work until every box is gone through Checked. and organized, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. 
you can't wait. That's what the poor, I see women coming in the 60s, 70s, 80s. They've been waiting their whole life to start their life. And so that's what I want people to understand. You know, this is a lifelong battle and get help, you know, but don't wait about your strengths and what you want to do in life. And you're entitled to have a life, meaningful life as a goal. I love that. And I think um, if you don't mind, just can you tell us one more time what T is for? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Medication, education, uh, strategy, support, support, and therapy. Therapy. Okay. That's what therapy I thought. Because is it support think, or strategies? Support is an SS. SS. Uh, oh, oh, I see. I see. Okay, yeah. great. And I added an extra S over the years because it's strengths. But the bottom is T because sometimes it's, uh, it, you know, it's couples therapy, sometimes it's individual, sometimes it's group. But these are deep wounds to people growing up without understanding yes. why they're struggling. And you have to find somebody who can help you, who can see you, who can value you. And that's really such a missing approach sometimes for women with ADHD. Well, I love, like, first of all, to me, you're speaking my language. This yeah. is exactly the model. Um, uh, it will be, uh, you know, in in my world, I call it um, instead of education, it is psychosocial education. I mean, um, neuroscience education, whatever. It's a little bit tell, explaining to them how their brain works, yeah, which is definitely. probably what you're talking about the same. Well, at the beginning, uh, I do that. Yeah, we have to really understand that and go through. But then afterwards, then it's like this being able to see themselves differently and have new experiences of themselves with your support to, to see themselves differently takes a while. And then in, in terms of uh, after your support strategies and strengths, one thing that I add to the process is learning from mistakes, this idea of uh, introspection so that you understand that mistakes are preventable, but it's not the mistakes. It's really your tendency to respond to certain situations in a particular way. And if you want uh, different results, if you recognize the pattern, not the mistake, then right. that pattern prevention is a really important part of building executive function uh, because I tend to be late. If that's a pattern, five situations, then, and I don't like it, then if you don't like it, then you need to do strategies. But if you are, don't mind and you're only mad at yourself, then it's really <laughs> not going to change anything. So right. I like to point out to people that it sounds like this doesn't make you happy or makes you very um, dissatisfied with your life. So as we close, uh, I like often like to ask uh my guest um, guessed two things. One is, sounds like an author like you, what has influenced your worldview? So do you mind sharing with us um, uh, a book or two that you recommend to the audience that they should, um, you know, consider as they expand their own uh, mental worldview? That has well, I mean, you? I'm very into loss and grief and, you know, and moving and living with adversity not just living with diversity living with adversity oh, too yes I had, I had cancer a few years ago and and it was so funny you know because people uh kept saying well you just have to get over it you know get through it get over it and go back to who you were get back to normal and I was saying no you know for me the point of going through any kind of trauma adversity whether it's a pandemic or cancer is to learn from it to grow from it to be transformed by it you know and so I'm always looking for books that help us. So actually, just this is a good book I like. It's called Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow by oh, Elizabeth wow. Lesser. That's a nice book. And uh, those are the kind of books I like to read, you know, broken, uh, open. broken open. And then, you know, neurodiversity, if you want to just talk about, you know, that's a really important book because it talks about how we're all different that. like snowflakes and you know, we're all unique and there's not one perfect snowflake out there to compare <laughs> ourselves to. Um so, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of brilliant. The first well, book I read in the field, though, that helped me 
understand, recognize myself if people with ADHD want to start. It was one of the first books for read by uh, written by two women, Kate Kelly and Peggy Ramundo. You mean I'm not lazy, stupid, or crazy? So that was like the thing that changed my life. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your your amazing recommendations and this brilliant conversation. Uh, as um, we close, I can't thank you. I think uh, one thing that is going to really speak to everybody is how you are normalizing life experiences yeah. for people. A struggle to me is ubiquitous being part of human and you have created a pathway, for, particularly for women who already are carrying the burden of whole society uh, who expects so many things from them. Right. The it's that other layer and that radical acceptance that I, that you liked, but I'll just end with that. The radical acceptance is applied to ADHD and executive function is like, we all have pain and we all have challenges. And what we want to do is not turn that into suffering. Like let's keep it yes. in pain and struggle, but we don't have to say this shouldn't happen. I, I'll pretend this isn't true or I hate this about myself. So just struggle with, but don't yeah. turn it into suffering. Well, thank you so much. So, all right, everyone, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you again, Sari, for being my guest. And as you can see, these are very important conversations we are having with incredibly talented, knowledgeable, and compassionate experts who are presenting a perspective and infusing our lives with hope. So mm -hmm. I cannot uh, thank you enough. And if you love what you're hearing, please share uh, with your world um, and uh, do leave a comment or reach out to us if you have any um thoughts and reflections about the topic. Uh, lastly, make sure you subscribe to the um, to a full prefrontal um, using your favorite listening app. So that's all the time we have. And until then, be bold, be brave and keep having fun. Oh, great. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Full Prefrontal, exposing the mysteries of executive function. To contact your host, Sucheta Kamath, and learn more about her work on improving executive function, visit her website at exqinfinitenowhow.com. That's www.exqinfinitenowhow.com. Tune in next week for another informative episode of Full Prefrontal, hosted by the founder of EXQ, Sucheta Kamath.